So, Casey, we have just recorded our conversation about being a first-generation college student, exciting and important conversation, full of other people's thoughts as well. Yes. So, Jamil, last week I was the one roaming the hallways, getting people on the on the mic. This week you were out there asking people to share their experiences and their advice as first-generation students. Do you like being a reporter out there on the streets? It was nice. It was nice. We get to hear from a lot of people that have been really important in my life and been important to me throughout my college journey, like Jessica Clark and Leslie Ann and people I have known since I started at Southern. And they come with some very interesting points of views and perspectives. So it was actually very exciting to bring their voices on the podcast. So I'm very proud about that. Yeah, watch out NPR. Oh, yes, we are killing the game. <laughs> and also with us in this conversation is our Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Diana Riza. And she's a first-generation college student. And we just had, you know, a really moving and insightful conversation. I think it's something about hearing from other people and live on the air as we're recording. It's very emotional. Yes. It's different than if it's just the three of us chatting about stuff because I don't know. I mean, there like I was actually, Diane, and I don't know if you kept the tears in your eyes, but they were coming out of ours. Yeah. Being first gen is an emotional experience. It's a powerful experience and hearing from other first gen students talking about their advice and how they were able to get on by is extremely emotional. So yes, I do feel that. Yeah. And, you know, this will be a conversation really that I think we should revisit because it's important to to talk about first generation experiences. And this is not just a this is what makes being first gen hard at all kind of conversation. It's also really uh, an honor. I love teaching first generation students myself. So it's a nuanced conversation. Enjoy yes. it. Hello, welcome to Real Talk. Real Talk is about real conversations with real people regarding diversity in higher education. I am your co-host, Jamil Harp, a student activist. And I'm Casey Counselor, a professor in the Communication, Media, and Screen Studies Department at Southern Connecticut State University. All right, Jamil, let's go. Hello. So, Casey, today we are tackling the topic of first-generation. Yes, first-generation college students. Yes. And which is, you know, not a minority, frankly, or barely a minority. 40% of our students here at Southern are first-generation yes. students. So we're not talking 5%, 10%. We're talking eh, almost half of our students are having this experience. And it's an important conversation to have. And here with us to have that conversation is a first-generation student. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Our VP, Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Diana Riza. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, from behind the scenes to the front of the scenes. So this is great. Yes. Yeah. First generation is not a topic that I talk about often because mm. I am first gen. I don't think about it as often as I think about my other identities, but I'm first generation to graduate high school and I'm first generation to attend a university in my family. So it is an identity in which I hold and I definitely have some stories of how that has impacted my educational journey. You know, it, it's interesting because I never, I, I, I'm with you, I never thought of that being my primary identity. We never talked about it. I mean, my parents didn't know even what that was about. I only learned about it as I started to work at a university and started teaching mm. and then realized that that was a thing. And then Students really gave me voice to really think about what does that look like? My father having some college experience, not too much. Mm -hmm. And then my mom not having, only having a high school diploma. And I have to say, I used to think back uh, when those moments when you're, you're thinking about college. And I think I've said to some of you that there was a belief from my dad that college was important for all of our my sibs. But my mom thought that it was a-okay to just get a job. Mm -hmm. um, and for her, that was most important. If you found a job and you kept the job, 
that meant success. So it, there was some conf- conflicting messaging in the household around mm. even why go to college and if that were you going to be more in debt and that better play it safe, play it safe. Oh, see, because I, I was the first person to graduate high school in my immediate family. My mom was really serious about me going to college, and she always talked about that since I was a child. She didn't necessarily tell me the steps I would need to take to accomplish that, Mm -hmm. but she always envisioned a life for me at a university. My father, however, really didn't have an opinion on my adult life or what that would look like, you know, growing up. So it was really my mom talking about me going to a university as the next step. And then I had to figure out what those next steps looked like. And... It has led to massive burnout, especially when I'm looking back, because I had a really interesting high school journey. I went to a Bridgeport public school. I'm a product of Connecticut public school systems. I am very proud of that. But I had a lot of difficulties in high school. You know, my high school was deeply underfunded. It was overcrowded. We didn't have a lot of buy-in, a lot of mentoring. I did not know people that looked like me that had degrees. So... I didn't start thinking about college until my junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, the kind of bell kind of hit me like, oh, I should be doing something. And I did a lot of research on my own. It was a lot of me looking at universities, looking at costs. How will I pay for this? I did not have a college fund. Mm-hmm. I did not want to take student debt. And so by my second year of university, I was exhausted after trying to make all the right decisions, paying for school, making sure I have good classes, making sure I was studying, making sure I had a social life, making sure I was in programs and having internships and building relationships. I was exhausted. And you still are. I still am. (laughs) I'm still recovering. Well, you know, to your point about just being exhausted and not knowing, just taking it upon it yourself to just, if, you, if you're not guided, you, you self-guide. Mm-hmm. And Jamil, I, I know you enough now that you are you self-guide. And sometimes I find yourself doing so much that I, I don't know how you keep up. But I don't know if it's interesting if that's part of the drive of first gen um, in, in general, that you don't have the resources that other students that have that practice of college, you know, parents having gone to college or finished or gone to graduate school. So you don't have those resources, but at the same time, you're making up for them. And how much, I've never thought of it in that way, is are you overcompensating by, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a good point you're raising because I never thought of it that way, that you have to make up for what what they didn't give you. Yeah. And so thank you for for sharing that. And just looking back, um, at times I found that, I don't know what orientation was. Parents didn't feel the need to go to that, so they didn't come. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was, how to fill out a financial aid form. So you fill in the blanks. You you find ways for someone to help you on on campus. But I do think we overcompensate. You know, another thing, and I I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes we see that first gen in the way we promote, I'm not saying at Southern, but other places I've worked at, that a first gen has more, because they didn't have all those resources, it's seen as not, they have deficiencies, they have to fill them up, they don't have, I don't know if they call them deficiencies, but we see them as less prepared because they didn't have all this early preparation and support along the way. And I find that that can be as dis, that can disadvantage first gen if we see that how we recruit them to a program or we market to the first gen and i had some challenges with a staff member at my previous school because she made the mistake of emailing the parents um, and the students to say hey come to this program and you know you parents don't have degrees and the way she mm messaged it the parents were like are you calling me um, inadequate or you're calling me not skill right don't have enough enough skills to to do my job what are you saying about 
where my son, daughter, or student comes from. There was pushback with uh, several emails, and so... I'm sure. I mean, there is a myth. This is like, you know, what, how you're talking about your mom, Jamil. There's a myth that the that first-gen students don't have parents who are encouraging them to go to college. In fact, it's often the opposite. You know, yeah. the parents really are encouraging their kids to go to school and continue their education because they didn't get to also like your, like your dad. But there's many reasons for why your parents may not have pursued a degree, right? Like the economy was different 20, 30, 40 years ago. For sure. You know, people life may not have allowed them the opportunity or the privilege to attend a university. You know, so people were raising families. People had to work directly out of school. There could be so many reasons, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your parent is incompetent and can't help you with the process. For sure. Because uh, my mother did help me the best she could, um, but I was in the driver's seat. And that's, right. that's one thing I appreciated, though, about being first gen is being in that driver's seat. So I picked Southern by myself. No one told me what school I had mm-hmm. to pick. I picked this school. I picked my major. I picked how I wanted to pay for this. I picked not taking on debt. That was something I was really serious about because I didn't know people with degrees growing up. So I did not want to make that financial investment of having student loans when I'm not sure what this can pan out to be. Mm. So I was in the driver's seat of my own destiny and my own adulthood, which I think really impacted my entire university career because I picked what clubs, what org, what jobs I was going to do, where I didn't have people telling me what I should and shouldn't do. There is data that shows that students who are first gen who really take advantage of resources on campus exactly like you have done, Jamil, and who own their education, that their levels of satisfaction actually with their education are higher than continuing generation students. I think because you have that sense of um, autonomy and agency over your your education and, and, and why you're here. And if you can fully own that, as you have done, then you feel more satisfied and like you really got something out of it versus just continuing on a path because that was the expectation. You know, one, one thing that came up yesterday, we were in a meeting, there were a couple of students that were talking about, you know, what is success? What has been success for you as, as a black, as two black males? And I found it interesting that in the conversation, the understanding that, and I don't know if they were first gen, but they were talking about knowing the resources were available, but guidance and support to get them to access those resources. And I have to say, and I don't know what the research says on this, but what they, that the, the comfort of asking for help. And I have to say that if there were one of the many challenges that I had going to school was, asking for help because as a first gen you just do it you just take the lead and nobody told me that mentorship and coaching was part of the deal Mm -hmm. if you asked you looked weak you didn't you didn't look like you had strength if you were asking for support so I don't know I don't know Jamil did no I've always felt like that I have always been an extremely organized student too Like I have my deadlines. I have my financial aid calendar open. I know about getting grants and my syllabus schedule. So if Jamil had a question, that question must be complex and I'm not going to ask it. I would literally wait until I found the answer because I did not want to appear weak. I wanted to appear extremely competent, especially to when you add the pressure of not only being a student, but being a student leader and being a mentor to others and being in all these places where people look to you for answers It's like, what do you do when you have a question? So, yeah, asking for help has always been a problem. As I'm listening to you all, I mean, when I was a college student, I was so, so I'm a continuing generation student. My parents met in college, actually. And I certainly felt like, I often wonder, like, would I actually even have gone to college if my parents didn't? I'd probably be a, a cook, honestly. Or, or done something sort of radically different. Or maybe I would meet a mentor or somebody who would sort of lead me on that path. But as a college student, I didn't raise my hand. I didn't use any campus resources. I, re- I was like so painfully shy that it was only in a few cases that I find, you know, a space to be fully comfortable and fully myself. But so I'm listening to this and I'm like, well, I certainly never asked any questions. I never went to office hours. I didn't do any of this stuff. 
So like for me, I'm thinking, well, so my parents really helped me with the application process beyond that. Mm-mm. And then I also, but then as I'm listening to you, Jamil, I think one of the differences is that my not asking questions out of being shy or being introverted is not fundamentally about looking weak. And so I think it's deeper, like you have to overcome, not overcompensate, but that, that it hits at a deeper level of security if you're first generation. I always found myself at one or two in the morning finishing studying and my mom's words would be, you can do it. And I would say, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> I love you. Okay, I'm glad that you love me. How is that going to help me with my paper tomorrow, you know, or a first draft? And so that skill set, that college prep skill set, it was another area where I I don't know, you to your point, I mean, if they would have both gone to college, they would have said, hey, you know, you got to go here because this is going to really put you in a better place. So I don't know, for you, Jamil, maybe it was good that they didn't ha- that you didn't have that pressure to say, no, you got to do it this way or you got to think about this way. No guidance meant I had freedom, but no guidance meant I don't have a framework for me. It was difficult to build a framework. Yeah, it was hard building a framework. However, I, I do deeply appreciate it. One thing I thought about often was how my nephews were going to look at me. You know, if I'm successful at this university, that means they can view themselves as successful. Like my little brother, how would he view me in this space? That's what a lot I of pressure. Them? It is a lot of pressure, yeah. but someone had to do it, and I felt confident being the person to do it. So I, I do really enjoy being first-gen to set some type of precedent to say, hey, you can go to university if you want to, you can do it your own way, and you can do it without debt because I was able to do so, and I knew a lot of ways to do it. It's because a lot of times people go, oh, I don't have the money to go to college. Well, Jamil did it, so maybe you can do it too. <laughs> that's a good That's good role modeling there. All right, so let's add a few more voices into the mix. We're going to hear from, from four folks here in this next segment. Hi, my name is Leslie, and I'm an alumna. My two advice to first-generation students would be, one, ask as many questions as possible because these college questions that you have, your parents might not have the answer to. There's a high chance that they don't have the answer to that. Ask your friends, ask someone in financial aid, something so that you can get the best answers. I can't tell you how many times I've incorrectly done FAFSA. So just ask somebody some questions. Don't be shy or scared, it's fine. And my second is a little bit tricky, but I know our parents want us to be lawyers and doctors and so on, and that's fine. But if that's not your passion, if you can, because I understand that families are complex, don't do it. You are the one who's going to be in college for four to however many years completing the coursework, not your parents. So if you can, do what you really love. Hi, my name is Renata Costa, and I'm a current grad student here at Southern. I am also a first-gen student, and I'd say reflecting back on just throughout my college career, the biggest barrier to success at college was really just the lack of resources and knowledge available to my mom. I grew up, I was raised by my mom. My mom was not from this country and wasn't familiar with the higher education system. So when I, you know, embarked on college, there were a lot of questions that she probably had, but didn't feel like asking me and hadn't made connections with anyone at the school, never been through college herself. And, you know, really could be there for me as much as she could be, but not in every capacity that I needed her to be. So my advice to current first-gen students is try to engage with your parents about how you're doing, any questions you might have, get their advice, you know, encourage them to come to different things that are, you know, 
educational about the school, about what you do as a student, different things like that. Because the more support that you have around you, the more successful you'll be overall. And honestly, just own your first gen status. Like that's, it's amazing for me to look back and reflect on the different obstacles and barriers that I overcame seemingly alone. I mean, I always had friends and, you know, other you know, form of support that may or may not have been my family. But, you know, you kind of have to figure out things. You have to find your footing by yourself. And it overall just instills this independence that we have that maybe, you know, students who aren't first gen may not have as much of. So just own up to your first genness and cherish it and just pay attention that way you're able to reflect back and be able to help someone else that's in your current situation or also first-gen students. Hi, everyone. My name is Antoine. I am a senior here at Southern Connecticut State University, majoring in communication sciences and disorders, and I am a first-generation college student. Some advice I have for first-gen students is don't listen to negative advice from teachers, professors, family members, friends, anyone who is against you attending school, going to school, sacrificing life for school. Higher ed is really important. And I think a big reason why we see a huge divide among students of color in higher ed is because of this systemic, not only the systemic racism that's in place um, in higher ed, but we being first generation, you know, college students, a lot of our family members have not um, attended college or even graduated high school. So the mindset when they were growing up was always get a job, be able to take care of yourself and just live life. And that's different for us. We are in a generation where higher ed is important to even get an entry-level job, let alone a career. So we have to maintain this drive to attain higher ed and succeed in higher ed just because we are in a generation where it's really important to have a degree to back you up in life. So to those who are telling you that this is not worth it, do not listen to them follow your heart, continue to have that drive that you have now, and continue to be a change for this amazing community and culture that we are a part of. Thank you. My name is Christian Torres, and if I have any advice for a current first-generation student, it would be to try your best not to let the pressure get to you too much, because it really isn't as much as you think. Being a first-generation student is very important to a lot of families, but I promise that there is nothing but love and support behind you. And ultimately, when you reach that goal and succeed in graduating and moving forward with your careers, the time you took to take on those challenges that no one else in your family has will be worth it. So just remember that you've got the support, you've got the love, people got your back. While the pressure may build and it may feel insurmountable, you will succeed and it'll be worth it in the end. Yeah, so thank you to all of those people who have contributed to this conversation. And I think there is a kind of common thread here, you know, talking about dealing with the pressure, talking about, you know, being vulnerable and asking questions. Mm-hmm. And also just engaging your family along with this experience. And I would agree with all those points. And I would also add that, that after I've listened to those, it really helped having other friends that was first gen yep. to have this experience with. Because I spent the majority of my undergrad with Leslie Ann mm-hmm. and helping each other. And being first gen and having other first gen friends, that you can fill in each other gaps. You can help each other grow and see other potential. I think a lot about the older students I looked to my first year, I looked up to, mm-hmm. and how they helped push me to even become a student leader, become an RA and get my housing paid for, right? Like pushing me to those opportunities. But I probably wouldn't have even engaged those things if it wasn't for other first-gen students pushing me along. Right. I think, you know, we really get into trouble when 
when we aren't having these open conversations, which is why it's so great we're having this podcast episode, because I think sometimes people just internalize their struggles and think it's it's a, a personal failing. They shouldn't be feeling this way. There's a sense of shame or a sense of like that you're alone. And I also think that people who are first gen, they do tend to actually give back more to their communities, which in, includes mentoring, which includes you know, all different ways of giving back because of the sense of accomplishment, appreciation, and also remembering what it was like and wanting to, to be for someone else what they maybe didn't have. Yeah, spot on. The last uh, speaker that spoke about pressure from within, yes. not just within the individual like you're saying, Casey, but the pressure of not just higher ed and classes, that also you internalize, but I, the pressure, even though it's love and support that's coming, it is still pressure. There is, there's an emotion of you want to do right for your family. Like you, you are, you want to be proud. You want to make them proud. And so, you know, I, I, the challenge is comes in all, in all shapes inside and outside and from within and, I, I, it's complex, mm-hmm. but that's true for all students. But but I I do appreciate the thinking of it. I'm not alone, and I have others, and I'm here to help you. Because if I help you, that makes me stronger, and it strengthens community. And I I think there's there's a thread to that, a, a common theme as well. And yeah, it's not just me as an individual, but I just really like the the sense of thinking of others as this collective and, and strength that pulls everyone together moving forward. That, that was beautiful to, mm-hmm. to hear. First-generation students have a sense of resilience and grit. Mm-hmm. And I also think about something that Dawn Staten used to say to me all the time, is like, move like water. And I used to hate when she would tell mm-hmm. me that. Like, Jim, you just got to move like water. And I think about the roller coaster not just being first gen, but just being in college is like, you know, one day you could fail a test, right? And maybe you're failing a midterm and you're extremely overwhelmed and you have all this homework and you have to go to work. But then on the other side, maybe you pass some midterms and you really ace some and then you go to this awesome event and you have so much fun and you meet these new people that you fall in love with and you have meaning relationships. Like university, like every day can be a roller coaster of emotions. And I constantly reminded myself that, like, when times are bad, they're just bad temporarily because, like, something good is always around the corner. So it always felt like I was going up and down constantly. So what does she mean about move like water? You got to go with the flow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, go with the flow. Because I always, some advice that I got, especially in grad school and around coming out, all of that was to just let things roll off Mm. like water on a duck's back. Wow. Um. As opposed to feel, having to feel deeply everything, which is too much sometimes, you know, so just to let it. You know, the, the other piece that we haven't talked too much about, but it does influence its culture. And I think you touched a little bit on that, Casey, um, whether it's your gender, sexuality or, or ethnicity, racial identity. But when you don't have role models um, mm-hmm. on campus where you can see a loud which I was, moved with hands, my body spoke. It wasn't just my voice, but my body spoke. Mm -hmm. But you didn't have enough around you to say, is that okay? You know, I want to be a good student, but can I be a good student being just Diane? Right. And when you don't see enough of that around, or or whether it's professors um, or, you know, advisors, that makes it, ever so challenging and we don't talk enough about that we we just assume that first gen are just underrepresented and come from all different backgrounds but in my day you just didn't have enough I mean, if we're struggling now with representation on of what faculty what that what employees or faculty and staff look like for students I can assure you in my time we didn't have much of any of that um, and so it felt lonely in that way too that right um, a first den being black that also could be a mentor to me was pretty exciting. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have it, but as I look today, 
at a first gen program that just kicked off uh, this week. It was really exciting to see role models of all different backgrounds, professors, staff sitting around these students that came from diverse backgrounds. That looked different this time from my time. Right. Yeah. I think about the importance of like just having RAs of color in a yes. building. Yes. Yes. Because my first year, I was able to look up to students like Jaquan Nelson, like yep. Jayla Manning, like Mar J, mm-hmm. who were strong student leaders, mm-hmm. who like advocated for minority students on campus, who put on rock star events, who talked to me every night, who like held my hand when I was crying and writing a paper. Like, I was able to have students that looked like me be in a position where they could help me and then become lifelong right. friends. So having people that look like them, even that are first generation, yep. it matters. It does matter. I think about my very first class on campus during the fall semester. It was philosophy. I walked in the classroom. I was the only black person in this whole class. Everyone was talking. They seemed like they knew each other. And I was listening to the conversation. And it was something about like they were all from hometowns that I've never heard of. You know, I grew up in Bridgeport. They're all from these small towns, Connecticut. So I immediately felt like I didn't belong here. Sure. And it raised the question of how do I show up to these spaces? Can I show up as myself or do I need to show up as somebody else? But I made the critical decision to show up as unapologetically and authentically myself and to sit in the front of the room and to speak up and to answer questions and to do the readings and to engage with others unapologetically. And I carried that throughout my whole university experience because in order to get to be in this space where I was at a university where I was, you know, paying for it myself, I wanted to engage it. You know, I knew I was strong to have to be in this space and maintain it. Cause I remember my freshman year, so many students around me were dropping out of school. Right. And so every semester that I didn't drop out meant the world for me. And I knew I was resilient. I knew I had grit. So I was shown up. This is how I wanted to show up. What I thought was professional. And growing like that. I can attest to that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You definitely did. And I I also would see, you know, the impacts of your leadership. You know, you experienced that, the mentors that you did when you first got here that made such a difference for you. And I then would see countless students in my classes who I'd like see in their notebooks, like little notes that, you know, you're writing in there with them like at three in the morning. And I just hear in conversations with students like what a difference that you've made for them and in some you know people that you may never even know about um but how you've really uh, made it a a mission of yours to pass that on and I think you just also do it naturally I know it's both intentional but I think it also is just your way of being um to be contributing in that way I I didn't think it was anything special at the time. I view it as students, especially students of color, first-gen students, we're passing the baton to each other. You know, I had older students that passed the baton to me that I passed the baton on. You know, and I think about it as a legacy. Like, there have been students all throughout Southern's history that has mentored other students. It's a really important part of the university experience. It's important for retention. It's important that we can make ourselves thrill. Sense of belonging on campus is a huge thing. And you build that community. So you're mentoring them, but they're mentoring you back. And so as much as you're giving to others, you're also taking so much in. Like I have learned so much about myself as a professional just by mentoring other students. Mm -hmm. So it was actually one of my favorite parts about being here and what kept me here is the fact that so many people knew me, so many people loved me and loved seeing me. That really helped me stay at Southern. You know, I keep thinking about the role of faculty. Yes. And... You know, listening to the stories uh, that we just heard or other students and talking about that special faculty that that reached out and came from all different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was black faculty to black student. It was a faculty that really cared. And I wonder if I if we were talking to faculty, I wonder what would they say about what are the gifts that first gen bring to the classroom? I'd be curious if they weren't first gen, what would they think of gifts? Not as detriment as we were started, you know, as we talked earlier, but what would those gifts look like? And I'd be curious to see if they don't know the answer, then they're not just missing out, but they're, they're not going to do their best teaching by not understanding what that means. 
for added value to their classroom. Right. I mean, you're looking at me as you're saying this, and I am a yes, faculty yes, member. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I love how we're all, we all our yeah, chairs shifted, just shifted right? towards uh, you. Yeah. Well, I mean, one one thing that I, I certainly notice, and it's different, I mean, uh, teaching at a school like Wisconsin versus mm-hmm. teaching at Southern, but I'll say that it's very clear to me students who take their education for granted and those who don't. I mean, I don't necessarily always know who's first gen and, and who's not. But I'll say that that there are some people who, for whom school is relatively easy and they, you know, life is easygoing, you know, things are just going pretty well for them. But they also, uh, there's just a sense that in, in class that, that sometimes they're not really taking things to heart in a way that first gen students often, and sometimes folks are really dealing with the impacts of this internalized pressure, which includes anxiety. It can be avoidance, a lot of anxiety, actually. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that once I have a student who's on board, I mean, Jamelia right here as, a, as an example, then first-gen students, I think, are more likely to really take it and, and run once they have a sense of, you know, the value of this class, the, value, their, the possibility that, that is there for them. I just think there's a, a bit more of a sense of that ownership which makes a real difference in the classroom in terms of making it a live space that's not just professor to students. It's just the whole class as an organism. I think about the beginning of my educational journey, and I intentionally looked for faculty relations. I understood that coming into this university space that I needed advocates for me, but I also just need to know my faculty. I need to have relationships with them. And so I did do the SEOP program, which stands for the Summer Educational Opportunity Program. I have talked about that in the podcast before. And it's a five to six week program that basically helps transition you from high school into college. So I lived on campus for those t- for that time period and had a couple of comp classes. And one of those classes was English with Cynthia Stretch. And oh. I went to her office hours during that program and we immediately clicked. And she has been part of my journey the entire time I was at Southern, the entire time. She has held my hand. She has emailed me for during semesters that I didn't have her class. And actually it's me. through you that I've connected with her. Yeah. God. We met in the, at a theater performance and I, I thought I recognized her and then we bonded with each other by talking about you. Yeah. Yes. Um, so talk about a, yes. a contribution from first generation students. Yes. yes. That's oh. one. But I like that. That's been one of my favorite relationships to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I have taken almost every class she has taught at Southern <laughs> because I enjoy my time. I feel like she has made me such a better writer and a better person and has helped me reflect and go through this process because every semester I had something going on with Jamil. Mm-hmm. So just having a person that can be your faculty, but also outside the classroom, like be a person with you. Like we have done things like go and see a spoken word show because I really enjoyed the topic in class. And so she invited me to New York to go watch one. And those are the relationships with your faculty that matter. Things that you do outside the classroom together. Absolutely. And that's why I love when you're, that you're mentor students because that's the kind of thing that most students don't do. To come in with that kind of confidence that you have, I do think you're this very unique I would say so. person. I don't I know how you, so. you came out 60 years old sometimes, That's I think. Right. But maybe a little older. Maybe, maybe. Right. Life would do that to you. Also, sometimes people just get old and bitter, but you are, you're old and wise, my friend. Let's fold a couple more students here, or yeah, yeah. students into the mix. Hello, my name is Jessica Clark. I'm the Assistant Hall Director of North Campus, and I am a first-generation college student. I'm currently getting my master's here at Southern, but I got my bachelor's here as well. And some advice I have for first-generation college students would be to put yourself out there. I know my personal experience, my freshman year, I had a really difficult time. I felt very lonely. At that time, I was a very shy person, so it was difficult for me to really reach out to people and make those connections and create friendships that lasted long and that really felt that kind of bond with someone. 
But during my sophomore year is when I made that commitment to myself that I was going to start putting myself out there. I was going to introduce myself to people. I was going to reach out to people in my classes, you know, maybe become study buddies with people, talk to people in my residence halls because I lived on campus. And through those conversations and through me introducing myself to people, a lot of more opportunities came my way. And one of those opportunities turned out to be being a resident advisor. And through that job as well, I created a lot of lifelong friendships of people that I love dearly to this day. So really just putting yourself out there, you don't know where it could lead. You don't know who you're going to meet or who you're going to know or who that person knows. And then maybe that person becomes your best friend. And there's really just an endless opportunities um, when you kind of extend that hand to somebody else. And I know that coming into this environment, not knowing what it's like and not really having anyone to back you up can be really intimidating. So really putting yourself out there and trying to create those connections can really make this experience of college worthwhile and an amazing experience. I know it was something that really turned my experience around because the first year I was here, I absolutely hated it. But now, of course, I love being here and I've created a bunch of friendships along the way. Hello, hello. My name is Kiana Michelle. I graduated from SESU in 2020 with a degree in communication with a concentration in personal professional. And I am first generation. My family is from Haiti. And I was the first one out of all my siblings to go to college. And with that created a lot of barriers because I didn't have anybody that I can go to to kind of help me with things such as applying for FAFSA or kind of be able to guide me in the right direction when it came to decisions that I had to make with my education. And I just remember at times it was very discouraging because you would want to talk to your parents and talk to your family about like, hey, like, you know, I'm literally signing something that's literally a loan under my name and things like that, but they didn't understand what that meant. And not that it was their fault. It's just that that's just a barrier that they kind of didn't have the direction or have the resources to help us overcome. So I had to kind of figure it out on my own. And sometimes it gets very discouraging because sometimes you look at other people and you're like, wow, like you get the help of your family and they kind of, you have people in front of you like, oh yeah, like my, my mom did fast food for me. So I don't even have to worry about that. I don't even know what you're talking about and things like that. And it's like, wow, like you kind of wish you had that. But one of the advice that I would give current first generation students is use that as your motivation and your push, because it, especially a lot of us come from families that came from that came to America to get a better life and to be able to provide for us. And that should be our motivation because they came here for us to be able to live out dreams that they couldn't live out. And I had to constantly remind myself of that because I knew that my parents came here in order for their children to be able to live a life that they couldn't even imagine. So even though I'm going through those barriers, I knew that those barriers were worth overcoming because I knew that this is what my parents wanted. And something that I always did was just ask people around you for help, especially at Southern. I remember I had amazing people who were able to provide me the resources that I didn't even know about. You have financial advisors, you have things where you can sit down with people and just be honest and be yourself. And remember that you're not alone. There are also other students that are first generation that may be going through exactly what you're going through, but use that as a reason for you to just keep pushing. You are not alone. I remember how hard it could get and how discouraging it could get, but try your best to use it as your push and use it as your motivation because you are deserving of what you are fighting for and going to school for. And your family also is deserving to see you be able to overcome something that they couldn't even fathom growing up in wherever your family's from. So that's the advice that I have to give. I hope it all makes sense. Sometimes I ramble on, but I wish you the best of luck in your journey in college. And I hope that being a first generation student is something that uplifts you more than discourages you. And yes. Hey, Casey. Hey, Jamil. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? All right. Let me stop. All right. Bye. Uh, love K. Michelle. Love K. Michelle. Oh, my. Yeah. Wow. Huh. She should be a proper guest on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Wow. She brought a tear to my eye just now. My gosh. Well, you know, I I just have to say, I mean, just the experience of, uh, you know, that the the burden of having to come from another land. Right. You know, that's another layer. That's an additional component. Yeah, we, we we don't talk about that too much, but. Or a language barrier? Absolutely. So, I mean, I just felt her all the way through um, as far as culturally 
acculturating, this cultural adaptation. I, I felt her because coming from Puerto Rico, you know, I, I, that there was a, there were a lot of adjustments that nobody talked about, and that to be successful, you had to look like someone else that was that was not you. I know she wasn't saying all that, but you know that that sense of 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 push from within. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I mean, she spoke to me, and to be honest and be yourself, be yourself. Like that that sense of of just be who you are, be true to who you are, and don't shy away from that. That spoke that resonated with me. But I'll, I will say, put yourself out there. Put yourself out there. That seems so easy to do, and uh, and I'll say that in the United States. The individual put yourself out there. Sometimes for some communities, it, that is not what we're told to do. Mm-hmm. You know, right. putting yourself out there means that you're putting somebody else out. Mm-hmm. You know, like putting yourself out there might sacrifice someone else. So I, I'm always nervous. I, I think it's a good message, but I know for some of us, it certainly was for me that yeah. as a young Latina um uh, Putting yourself out there meant I had to bring others with me. For me, that was in, in, important. So, so how else might we? I mean, in part, uh, we can think about like how do we set up structures so that seeking support doesn't entail putting oneself out there. That it's just mm-hmm. built in. That's right to how it works. But I wonder if there's another way to say that, or another way to besides this idea of putting yourself out there, because for a lot of people, that also sounds like a nightmare. It does. Like, I, I that's the last of, thing I want yeah. to do. I think about just being in community with people and necessarily this idea of, you know, go on a stage with a mic and go talk uh-huh. to people. I think that's a little misleading. <laughs> like you don't have to be an orientation ambassador right. and like yeah. hold pom-poms. I know orientation ambassadors do much more. I don't know if Jessica more. meant that, but no, I think you're but, right. I, I you know, you don't have to be in such forward positions, even an orientation ambassador. They have mm-hmm. very shy people that work there. But you can be in the background, but also put yourself out there. And I think about it from the perspective of living on campus, because that's what I did. I lived on campus. And when you're living on campus, you're in community with people. You're going to hall council meetings. You're talking with your RA. You're building friendships. You're also probably gravitating to other people that are like you, that are from your hometown or towns similar, that have similar majors. So you're constantly being in community with people with the same interests as you. And I think sharing resources in that community is important. And I think about the way I did it. You know, you have a floor of folks and you see each other every day. You share the same showers. You share the same common areas. Mm -hmm. You're doing homework together. You're talking about scholarships together. You're talking about jobs on campus together, off campus. Like you're sharing resources. You're You're even sharing food. You're sharing everything. And so I think part of it is putting yourself out there is putting yourself in communities. Mm. You know, well, joining communities. In relationship. Point, yeah. yeah. And re- right. I would say I would, in, in the way I'm thinking about putting yourself out there with others is for some, um, particularly for women, mm. and there's, and for Latinas, I would think for other communities that have a strong gender, that putting yourself out there as a woman, there, what does that mean to single yourself out there when you have responsibility to, to the home? And so I know to your point, yes, if you're living on campus, putting yourself out there with a community, there's value to that. But for others who don't live on campus, maybe putting yourself out there may mean I only can do it a little bit because I have responsibility at home to check in and have responsibility with siblings that I got to take care of because my mom is working as a single mom is working. So, you know, that I always find that an interesting, how far can I put myself as an individual to advantage myself to everything when there's others in, yes, in, yes, in yes. my household that I have to also be conscious of. But I think that the messaging, back to your point, Casey, is how to market that putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. How do we market so that it feels that it is certainly not giving, uh, sacrificing other right. things that are important to you? Right. I mean, I think all the students have said, be honest to yourself, be true, mm-hmm. empower, love you. but what does that look when you're when you're trying to recruit first gen to talk to them about hey you're strong you can do things we are in community what does that mean for them that you know incorporating the values that they're coming with and 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 speaking to that addressing that right 
I want to make sure that we have time to hear from our last two. Yes. Our last two callers today. <laughs> Let's hear from them. Advice that I have for first generation students is that one, try to get comfortable with asking for help and get comfortable with being your own advocate. It's really important to learn that because in a university setting as a first gen, you end up in a lot of situations where you kind of just don't know what you're doing and you need to reach out to other people in order to get answers. Sometimes as a first gen student, you're you're so used to this level of hyper independence that you develop throughout life that when you come to university, you kind of really need to get comfortable with the idea of the fact that you don't have the answer for everything and you can't figure out everything on your own. When it comes to the biggest barriers for me, I would say one was definitely the finances behind it. Paying for school was something that was very stressful for me. I'll never forget the winter break between my first and second semester of my freshman year. I was stressing, figuring out how I was going to pay that bill and it was past due. And I remember going to my mom again and I was about to cry. Like, and I was just like, what am I going to do? Like, how are we going to pay for this? And she was like, you know what? I'm going to dip into my savings for you to come back for the spring. And don't get me wrong, I'm very thankful and very grateful for it. But I think I also feel incredibly guilty because of it. I feel like my mom has sacrificed so much to be able to put me through school. And I I carry that guilt with me all the time because I feel like, you know, I want my mom to not have to carry that financial burden. You know, she'll call me all the time and be like, you know, I just worked a double. I'm going to be working night shift. I only got four or five hours of sleep. And I feel bad, but I also know that if I were to tell her, you know, I don't want to do this anymore, she'd be like, no, you can't give up. That's not an option. So the only thing that I could really just do is see it through. For the last thing that I really want to mention is that I know for a lot of us who are first gen, the idea of what's viewed as a profession, a profession that's like valuable is kind of different depending on culture. So as a first gen American and as a Jamaican, we or as a culture, they don't really view certain jobs as being valuable. So if you're not a police officer, engineer, lawyer, teacher, nurse, doctor, they don't view your job as as being anything important. So when you're a student and you come into university, say you're you're more interested in the social sciences, you know, you want to be a psych major, sociology major, a social work major, something within that realm. They kind of look at you crazy. And I would say to those people who are kind of in that situation, you know, be confident in your decision, prove them wrong. And be be comfortable with the decision that you've made and know that you don't have to follow that same path that everybody else followed and you can still be successful regardless. Hi, my name is Andrina Barajas Novoa and I'm a sophomore at Southern. For me, being first generation means breaking barriers and also breaking gender norms. And I say that because one, I feel like just with being in higher education right now, I mean, that that's something that my father wasn't able to do. Both my parents are Mexican immigrants, and for my father especially, he recognizes the importance of an education because he wasn't able to obtain one himself. He only was able to study up to elementary school, and that's because his parents were able to provide him with the the resources he needed and the school supplies he needed. So he basically had to drop out and just work from then on. And for my mom, at least, when she was able to become a teacher in Mexico, that in itself, her being able to get an education was her breaking the gender norms. And so I think both of those experiences for my parents coupled together just create who I am today. (laughs) I mean, I'm a first generation student and I'm not only representing my parents in everything that I do, but I think whenever I win something, whenever I accomplish something, It's also just a win for my parents. And I think that's especially relevant for my dad because he wasn't able to have the same opportunities I have now. And so with being first generation student, I also know that it comes with a lot of stress because there's a lot of pressure put on you from your parents, your families. It's honestly a lot of pressure, but I guess the way that I look at it is that I'm, well, my parents are able to live through me and Whenever I I win something, I also just think it's a win for my community just as much as it is a win for my parents. And I think knowing that being first generation student is an honor, I would say. It's an honor to be able to be in higher education and represent my dad and also my mom. And yeah, 
I, I love sharing these experiences with them. Powerful. That's what it is. Powerful. It's really powerful. I often think of that too, representing your family in these spaces and the accomplishments you have are not just your own, but shared. Right. I think about that a lot when I was doing this journey. I also, when I felt alone in spaces, you know, when I would enter spaces that are like super professional and I was the only black person, the only first gen, and I clearly stuck out like I didn't feel like I belonged in this space. I would think about the Maya Angelou quote, you know, I show up as one, but I come as 10,000. And I thought about the legacies and generations of my family, that they're always with me. You know, my parents are with me. My grandparents are with me. My great grandparents are with me in these spaces. And I'm able to be here because of the sacrifices they made. Absolutely. And I think about how literacy has changed generationally and how my great grandparents, because of the decisions they made, allowed me to be in a position to go to school, to, you know, to get a high school diploma and then pursue college. I can directly see that in the decisions my great grandparents made by just moving us from the rural South to Connecticut. And so I think about that when I enter spaces that I'm not entering by myself. I'm entering with them and that legacy with me. And that's a powerful legacy to enter into spaces with. I think Andreana just summarized so eloquently mm-hmm. of what does it mean to remember our parents and what they and their struggles and their parents and their parents and to that it is a community moving us forward. To be a first gen is to move us forward. And she said it better than I've said it, but yeah, I, I, uh, it is about moving and representing. And uh, students remind me of that all the time. Hmm. I didn't think you could get that high. I, didn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't see someone like me after seeing you that you, we could be that. But, but I, so my, responsibility is always to bring that generation forward, but also to bring my past forward too. So thank you, Jamil, for sharing that. I'm actually really glad that first gen is now being highlighted and being talked about. Because when I first got here, we weren't talking about that. I feel like often I don't talk about my experiences being first gen because it doesn't come up. No one really asks me that question. Mm -hmm. But it's so important to have these open discussions because as first-gen students, like you said, we are moving the needle forward for our community. Sure. Like it's so much larger of an experience and meaning. I'm not saying that other students don't take their education seriously, but being the first person in your family, in your community to get a degree is life-changing. There's a sense of legacy there. There's a sense of power and resilience it takes to be and occupy these spaces. So I'm really glad that we're talking about it more. And I think about throughout my university, just meeting and seeing professionals that had degrees, that were first gen from communities like me, that look like me, made me cry. I remember when BSU came to campus, the alumni came to campus, and I've seen so many men of color from urban cities who were successful lawyers, they were educators, they were principals, they had bachelors and masters and PhDs. I left that room. I went to my dorm room and I cried and I cried for maybe a good hour because just being able to see that other folks like you are making a difference and have made it to positions of power and have done so and then gone back and stayed in their communities to turn their communities into a brighter space meant the world for me. And so we have to, as a university, highlight those experiences, highlight our alumni, talk about openly where we come from and how hard some of us had to work to even be here. You know, some students don't, don't come back to Southern until 20, 30 years later. Sometimes people take long terms. I cried when I couldn't fa- graduate in four years. I cried. I said, my world's over. But not realizing that Everybody doesn't graduate in four years. That's right. You know, just being. That's right. If we all talked about a little bit more, the journey it took to get here, we would all feel a little bit better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, y'all, this has been such a great conversation. And and honestly, I think this is, this should be a recurring conversation on the podcast because hearing 
people's experiences all while, you know, there while their differences, there's so many common threads. And I just think the more we're talking about this, the better. Yeah, I would yes. agree. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, you Diane. Provided some space for me to reflect. And mm. I always appreciate you both for always having me reflect after I listen to these podcasts. And now it's while yeah. recording the podcast. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you both. Take care. Uh,